1: UFOs seem to be invading both our skies and our news outlets like never before. And more people are starting to look up and are wondering who or what might be out there. In 2016, Ryan Sprague introduced the world to countless UFO encounters that had never been made public before. And now, in the second edition of his book, he revisits these events and introduces brand new UFO cases in Somewhere in the Skies, A Human Approach to the UFO Phenomenon. How have these events changed the lives of those involved? And what might it tell us about the phenomenon? With in-depth follow-ups, brand new chapters, and detailed testimony from credible witnesses and insight from those in the psychological, academic, and scientific fields, Somewhere in the Skies, a human approach to the UFO phenomenon weaves together a story of stories, attempting to get to the heart of these mysteries one experience at a time. Available now on Amazon in both paperback and ebook. To learn more, visit somewhereintheskies.com. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Spread.
2: Alejandro, thank you so much for joining me once again on Somewhere in the Skies.
0: My pleasure. I always love it.
2: Yeah, man. It's always an honor having you here. And we know that when you're on the show, it's got to have something to do with the UFO Congress. And I'm so excited for this. I just registered over on the site, so I can't wait for this. But before we even talk about the UFO Congress running September 9th through the 13th, I have to get your opinions on this because you're like at the forefront of, uh, getting this out to the media and, um, you've spoken to a lot of the individuals involved with this sort of thing. But the, uh, UAP task force, this is the big, big thing in the news as of late. So I wanted to get your opinions on this. Um, maybe if you want to run us through what this is a little bit, uh, we, a lot of our listeners probably know by now, but for those who are new to Everything going on with the Pentagon and naval intelligence. Um, what is the UAP task force, and what do you think is going to come of all this?
0: All right, I think that uh, you know it's something I've been examining very closely, I'm mostly looking at uh, kind of the perspective of the insider. So the perspective of you know the the Senate, who intelligence who's asked for information. Um, from the military on UAPs and uh, kind of trying to understand. I wrote a piece on, you know, how the DOD's been changing their story, but trying to get a feel for, for where this is all headed. And I think that UFO, the UFO community uh, is in for a, a pretty big disappointment for the most part, and I think that there's a lot of misperception out there. So essentially, you know, we, we – When it comes to mixed messages, where did this UAP task force come from? Um, Just recently, uh, Roger Glassel, you know, Swedish researcher, he's been communicating with Susan Goh, who's one of the press officers, uh, who has been sending out some of these weird messages. But more recently, he asked specifically, you know, is this – why on August 4th did you announce that this UAP task force is new when you told me it existed prior to this? And what she said is because it wasn't formal before. It was kind of an informal uh, kind of discussions of the, these people in the background headed by the Navy to uh, talk about UAPs and um, the topic. Uh, he asked specifically if this was, you know, uh, if an extension of the program that Lou Elizondo was part of. And she said no. Um, But I'm doubtful of that answer because we have, from what I understand, there are the same players. The people who were working with ATIP um, are also the people working on the task force. Hopefully, more specific information about that will come out. And the reason being to show that, yes, indeed, this was, I think, part of what they were working on. But... And we keep hearing about drones. and keep talking about drones. And I think that's a much bigger deal than uh, to the military and this topic than uh, especially the UFO community wants to understand. And that if you're looking at what are the major threats and kind of what uh, has transpired around the creation of this is that the, the Chris Mellon so you, your audience probably knows who he is. Yeah. You know, he, he used to work for SSCI, the, the Intelligence Committee and everything. Mellon is kind of the guy who engineered all this. I mean it was a plan to come out with Elizondo uh, to demonstrate that the government indeed has investigated UFOs and taken it seriously to get them on the record. Once they're on the record saying that, you then can go to the Senate and say, look, here's evidence. They're They're looking into it. And that gives the Senate the ability to say, hey, you say you've been looking into UAPs, yet you're supposed to be briefing us on everything you're doing. You've never told us about this. Now we want to hear more. Um, So that's what – that's how this all came about. But Chris Mellon's – and we've heard this from the DOD. Their major concern is the blind spot. So this UFO taboo that's been created – means that they haven't been paying attention to a lot of things they should have. For example, you know, even when I did my first like move on investigator as a field investigator, this was a guy who just got back from Iraq. He saw an object. He, you know, he's used to, uh, you know, raising an alarm when, when they see something that could be potentially dangerous or uh, a safety concern. Nobody wanted to listen, but they should have wanted to listen. They should be uh you know paying attention to that sort of thing, but if you invoke the word uFO" then they don't want anything to do with it mm-hmm. and that's kind of the argument that Chris has been making is that look, these could be Chinese, these could be Russian if they are we're in big trouble. Another piece that came out uh you know was this report about the the drone incursions over nuclear. Uh, facilities.
2: Right, right.
0: And supposedly there's been like 50 investigations, only five of which have been resolved. That's a big deal. I mean, if any of those objects had weapons on them, um, that would be a problem. So they're looking at kind of these real world, um, more uh, tangible sort of issues. Um, and then there's, of course, what we're all interested. the unidentified. What about those? What about the truly anomalous, like the Nimitz situation, which the Navy has insisted that is an unidentified. We don't know what it is. We don't think it's Chinese or Russian. We don't know what to make of that. Well, Roger Gasell asked about that specifically to Susan Go, and essentially, she uh, said that would be classified, any investigation we do in that. So we're not seeing what uh, the development of kind of an opaque uh, or uh, a transparent group. Uh, it seems like they are going to be attempting to uh, do their work in the classified realm. Now, Chris Mellon, when he suggested the Senate look into this, he suggested he he. I guess he understood that it would likely need to be classified. Um, It was unexpected by him, um, and I can say this because I've interviewed him recently, that, uh, you know, Marco Rubio and the Senate Intelligence Committee would ask for a public-facing report. Um, And I think that's all important, and it's important for us to kind of be grounded and realize this, because, you know, a lot of people are out there, oh, this is the beginning of them telling us about Roswell and Area 51 and aliens in the hangar. It's absolutely none of that. In fact, it may be a blue book too, but a much more secretive blue book than the original. So if we do want data on the unidentifieds, the one uh, piece of leverage we have is that politicians are involved and kind of uh, taking a bit of control. And so through that, we can try to solicit our uh, politicians to make uh, you know make sure that there is regular public uh, information available and hopefully data that is shared with uh, scientists uh, to study this. But I don't think that's a major priority whatsoever. I I would imagine the military will fight that, and I think that's a more realistic place where we're at right now. But looking at the silver lining, what we have achieved, and I think this is what's, what what. Uh, maybe a lot of people in this field don't appreciate or or aren't as excited about, but I'm extremely excited about it because it's been my goal the whole time. And I think, you know, you probably would agree that it's important is that what has transpired, though, is that we do now have this admission that the military takes UFOs seriously. They have been investigating them, just like a lot of us researchers have been saying, uh, but being ignored or being, you know, thinking, oh, we're, we're just making this up. No, we're, we're right. You know, they have been taking it seriously. They have been investigating it. And then now the mainstream is comfortable um, talking about this. So you've got you know, politicians that in, in Washington, you have people in the Pentagon, in the halls of the Pentagon, more openly talking about UAPs. And, and we have media, which I think is slower to catch up, but we have a lot of media, some media talking about it. We've got some mainstream media people, but we also have uh, some media outlets relying on people who have already been researching this topic to kind of write articles and share information. So I think that shift that change, where kind UFOs are now legit, um, that is something we need to foster. It is a big step that could lead to more. But that's going to be, I think, about all we're going to get out of this. Um, and unless we really focus on, uh, I think, more people focus on trying to support this legitimate kind of uh, view of the topic, you know, that could slide through our fingers as well
2: absolutely man and i think you made some really good points in that uh this could be our disclosure this could be it and that's that's okay like that's the fact that the u.s government who's denied this topic for so long is admitting yeah ufos are real that's huge now the you know the tougher questions arise who are they what do they want where do they come from but we might not figure those things out ever 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 but look like you said I think it's great that there's passionate UFO people out there advocating, contacting their local officials and government, and uh, like you said, putting the pressure on them, whether it's through the media right. or uh, you know through Twitter or bombarding these people and departments with, uh, you know, tell us the truth. Uh, that could work. It might scare them away, as it often does, from – broaching this topic, too, but um, I think you're right. I think this is a good thing, no matter what. It could be uh, all we get is what we have now, but who knows? We live in uncertain times.
0: (laughs) Right, and we're at a stage where, you know, if we look at the scientific exploration uh, or the the, I'm sorry, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence Institute, the SETI Institute, (laughs) and those people and how they made that they changed the public opinion from seeing it as a, a fringe sort of thing to now a mainstream thing where NASA, it's mostly what they're doing. Now we need to enforce that it is something we need to continue to pay attention to and research, just like SETI did. So we do need to foster you know more of these mainstream, more of these scientists, looking at it, talking about it. Hopefully, you know, more organizations or institutes will start to have projects looking at it. That's what we have to foster and grow in order, I think, to get to where a lot of people would like to get. Um, I would like to get where there is more resources put towards uh, investigation because when you mentioned, you know, now who who are they, what are they, we're still in this realm where we've got to legitimize or at least demonstrate that uh, some of these that some of these things are not foreign technology. I think that the media is certainly in a place where, like, well, they could be, because they're not techies. They're not listening and hearing, you know, these jet fighter pilots and the technical reasons as to why these objects uh, are exhibiting technology that cannot be ours. And we need to really delve into that and really examine that to the degree where people understand. Wow, there's more to this even than possibly some extraordinary Chinese and Russian technology. And to give Rubio credit, you know, he's I'm I'm not necessarily a fan of everything that Marco Rubio does, but um, <laughs> that statement that he made. You know that, hey, I would rather these be from elsewhere because if they're Chinese or Russian, that's really scary. I think that's a good perspective because then it makes us really scrutinize are these Chinese or Russian and we really need to scrutinize that to determine. But again, you know, when it comes to the military, they're in a tough spot because because let's say they do know that they're Chinese or Russian. They're not going to want to tip their hand and let the Chinese know that we know they got this. So uh, it's really complicated
2: it is it's complex it's complicated everyone is in this for their own reasons when it co- when we're talking politics or military uh narratives everything so i think you're right yeah i think we just have to take it one day at a time see what happens but uh Alejandro, you mentioned there's more to all this, and I think that's really important to focus on is you've got To The Stars Academy. You've got the things going on in government, and uh, those are just one aspect of this entire UFO mystery in question, and uh, that's no more true than with the UFO Congress. So sort of pivoting here. I have to talk to you about some of these speakers you guys have this year because it's probably one of the best lineups I've seen in a really long time, to be honest. And, uh, sure. yeah, the owner, uh, Karen, uh, she pivoted, you guys pivoted to what a lot of conferences are doing, you know, in these uncertain times, and that's a virtual conference. So I was wondering, can you tell us a little about how the Congress is running virtually this year?
0: Yeah, and this is a, uh, Definitely a plea to or a a recommendation to get your tickets early because what's really cool about it is that uh, Karen was able to find this tool that creates this kind of virtual environment where you go in there and it's kind of like a forum, a community tab where you can discuss on a lot of different topics. There's also another tab for exhibitors. So the vendors, kind of a virtual vendor room where you could look at this list of vendors and see information about their products, and then they can also post videos about their products, and they can do, like, live conference calls. Like, they could say, hey, come join me at 1 p.m. tomorrow, and I'm going to do a live, you know, demonstration of my stuff. So. Uh, there's some of that going on where people are doing these virtual meetups to face to face over like Zoom or or other conference call products to to see each other. So it's this kind of entire world. It's this community that's built, and that's what's fun because if you jump, if you get your tickets, you get access to this community, and you can get in there and start to talk with other attendees, start to talk and interact with the vendors, uh, even the speakers. You can send them messages. Um, And that's the beauty of it, because a lot of times people don't have access to these speakers. But through this tool, you can ask them questions, and they might not get back to you real soon. But certainly during the event, they'll be getting back to people quite a bit. Mm. So it creates this community, which is really cool, before we even get to the presentations. So it's a really cool tool. Um, She, It was... A difficult situation because, like everybody, we're waiting for things to open up. People are thinking they're going to open up in Arizona, especially. They, um, I would argue, they weren't as savvy around, uh, you know, doing what they should have done. I mean, Doug Ducey made some news regarding all of this, and Arizona kept thinking, "Oh, things are going to open up. Things are going to open up," and and that kind of makes it difficult for us because we're working with the hotel saying. You know, at least it was our point of view that the science isn't saying that, you know. Right, right. Um, And so uh, we had to wait until, you know, the the hotel would let us out and say, okay, fine, you know, uh, you can't do this physically. Um, And so then we had to wait until that moment to then begin to entertain doing it. Uh, in this manner. So then Karen had to do research. Okay, if we're going to do this, how are we going to do it? And she found this tool, we had to get that online. And then there's all the uh, time to, to learn it and understand how to use it. So it's all been kind of last minute, it feels like. And even now, we're still learning some of the nuances of how all of this works. But the community is up and online. And that's really great. I think it's a little more intimate, you know, in that it's one thing to see someone up on a stage, which is nice and, and fun, um, but uh, in this case, we're going to be in people's living rooms. You know, we're going to be in their personal working spaces and seeing them doing their their uh, talks from there, and then uh, being able to interact with them and ask questions. So. All of that's pretty exciting. I think it's going to be a lot of fun for everyone. Um, So I just implore people, if if you're considering it and you're thinking, yeah, I'm going to get my tickets, get them now and get in there and start interacting with people um, because it's a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, I think it's so cool that you're able to, you know, meet up with people even before the thing happens. And who would have thought, you know, uh, a virtual conference would actually bring you closer than a a flesh and blood yeah. conference. But I do agree with you. I think this this offers people the opportunity to speak to everyone and, you know, sit on their couch or lay in bed and have a, you know – have a Mai Tai and just enjoy the uh, enjoy the show. I think it's a great thing. It's the future. It's what where we have to deal with now in this new world we're living in. And uh, I think mm-hmm. you guys have adapted amazing. And that that really comes, too, with the speakers you have. So I'd love to run through some of these people with the Alejandro. Give us a little taste of what they might be talking about and what we can expect. Uh, sure. The, uh, the first person I saw who really stood out was... Brian Bender, he's going to be talking about is government transparency happening. This has a lot to do with what we just spoke about the UAP task force. So, yeah how how'd you get Brian? And uh, yeah, what 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 do you think he's going to be talking about?
0: Yeah, this is fun because Brian. Uh, I think I, it'll probably be me doing a one on one interview with him, but uh, and I've done quite a few in the past, but or at least a couple. I guess I state quite a few because we talk quite a bit. Um, luckily, we've become friends because he's out here in Arizona, and uh, which is where the UFO Congress is headquartered. And, uh, you know, he has had an interest. I mean, he while he was the defense and space editor for Politico, you yeah. know, he was asking questions about this stuff, which is shocking to me of, you know, these high-level officials. What's great with Brian is that he hobnobs with all of these people. You know, he goes to these defense Uh, uh, conferences, he goes to these government conferences, some of the biggest ones. He hobnobs with the generals, with the politicians. He's in D.C., so he knows what the buzz is. And not only that, he's got a a huge amount of sources where he can kind of ask, what do you guys think of this Harry Reid thing, you know, his UFO thing, Um, which is kind of, of course, the attitude they have. Harry Reid and his UFO thing. And you know, get people's opinions and and get some uh, background, um, and and that makes it invaluable. Uh, and his reporting particularly important because when he's reporting, he's not just reporting what he's discovered, but it's also the buzz. You know, this is the buzz on the hill. This is what, or in the Pentagon. This is what how the how they see what's happening here. And so that's kind of what we'll be talking about. Um, And his impressions about things, because, you know, he has a more holistic perspective, uh, I think, and how this actually fits into government policy and the industrial, you know, military complex. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. I think a lot of people blow it off and think, ah, that can't be the case. But, you know, I think you do so at your own peril because then you're not going to really understand, you know, uh, the inner mechanisms behind all of this. And you know, what kind of becomes difficult, and it's kind of my job or, you know, our job as interviewers to interpret, they also use different verbiage. So, for example, um, Lou Elizondo, from his perspective, is like, you know, ATIP was a big project. We did a lot of stuff. Uh, But Bender's perspective is it was just a little portfolio that he worked on part of the time. Both are true. Those don't have to be opposing opinions or views. It's just a matter of perspective. Brian's looking at the big picture and the big picture, you know, it's not like NORAD or something where they had a headquarters with a dozen people that are hard at work, working with multiple agencies. No, it was kind of essentially like Nick Pope. It's one guy at a desk making phone calls. Sure, he's coordinating and working with a lot of people throughout the military. But, you know, it's one person coordinating all this and working with these others who are just working with him as opposed to being part of the project. So um, from my perspective, what Lou describes is a big deal. And even what Bender describes is is a big deal. But it's just, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's a fairly, you know, kind of small thing as far as projects go. So that's the sort of advantage I think someone like Brian brings um, in some of this uh, in, in order to understand all of this. And, of course to un- understand a mainstream perspective because Politico is wonky, you know, it's, it's yeah. uh, policy. It is very, uh, and this is a type of area where credibility is really important. So um, you really get, a, I think, a strong idea of kind of uh, how mainstream media is kind of working with this too. Brian's more open than most, but uh, his experience in trying to research all of this is also Um, really interesting. So, yeah, I think that it's really important. I think these are the perspectives we need because again, in the UFO community, there's these echo chambers and people saying, Oh my gosh, you're going to be talking about, you know, Roswell and and crashed UFOs. And, you know, we're hearing none of that out of, you know, actually from Washington. Um, so, So I think we get a more realistic perspective. And yeah, I'm excited about it. It's always really excited. And that's another thing that's really cool with the conference. Like I talked about with the interaction, people like Brian Bender, who may be hard to get to uh, if you're a person in the public and you have a question, you know, they'll have the opportunity to pose questions to him. At the conference,
2: absolutely, and I think it's amazing that he uh, he took this invitation and he's willing to speak to the public and to the UFO community too. Who you know, it's hard. It's hard when all they want to talk about is crash saucers and alien abductions, but then there's the cold hard truth that there is an extremely militarized and politicized version of the ufo topic so i'm really excited for that too man and
0: just to add because this will come up later too i think is that there's also he's not even opposed to those things being a possibility Mm -hmm. um it's just how that would work you know in the real world that's what we really need to understand and how one may gain access or information and how willing uh is the military or the government um Or how close, what are the, any clues that they may be ready to reveal more? I think those are all the things that we need to look at closely. Um, Unfortunately, as we talked about earlier, we don't see those sort of things. But at least, you know, you can ask someone like Brian, who's open-minded to say, well, if that sort of thing exists, which it may, here's how that might work. Um, Which gives us, you know makes us smarter at what we do. do.
2: Well, let's talk about smart people. This next guy, uh, a lot of people might remember him he was on an episode of unidentified on the history channel and we know him as the triangular ufo guy but he's actually <laughs> going to be talking about something completely different which is really cool that's david marler and he's going to be talking about a ufo burn victim from 1964 now do you know anything about this case alejandro and uh, yeah are you excited to to see what david's bringing to the table
0: I'm always excited for David's talks because David's talks are some of my absolute favorite. And what's great about David is that if he's doing a talk on a topic, you know that he's done a deep dive to really uh, get to information that you have you'll never you won't see anywhere else and that he's going to really substantiate his argument. Um, for instance, if you see his talk on, uh, the battle of LA, I mean, he really demonstrates how this was a Nimitz type case, you know, jet scrambled radar, all of this stuff. And I never knew any of that. You know, I never knew how solid of a case that was. I don't think anybody did till David did this research. So, uh, Burns, if it was anybody else, I would be like, burn, if someone getting burn from a ufo yeah right you know i would be pretty skeptical but i'm extremely excited with david because i'm confident that uh he's going to convince me that you know he's going to have some really strong evidence to support this so uh that's of course i'm super excited about it i know very little about the case and i'm trying to stay away from looking into it because i want to watch david go through it and share uh and uh so i can experience it you know uh, through his work, and uh, he's so good. I'm, I'm really, really excited about that.
2: Yeah, and what I would give to see that dude's library in his home. Man. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, you know. And the other thing, just to uh to wrap up, David Marler, this idea of biological effects. This is now like the official uh, sixth observable, according to Luis Elizondo and the work of a Tip and to the Stars Academy. And look, I. I went in on a deep dive after I saw that David was going to be talking about this, and there are hundreds of cases where there have been physiological effects on the human observing the UFO or experiencing the close encounter. So this is just one of many, and one I'm sure is going to really perk some ears and open some eyes.
0: Right. I mean, we – George Knapp uh, leaked, and not many people have looked at this or even seen it, Uh, but it was a – It was a report by a Bass uh, executive, anonymous. They didn't say who. And this is someone who worked with ATIP. And they talk a lot about physical effects. So obviously that was something that they were doing uh, with this Pentagon investigation that Bigelow and Bass was, was contracted to do. Um, and then there's this Project Condyne, which is a report from the UK where they also go over physical effects. Yeah, there are a lot of people looking into this aspect. So it's going to be great for David to demonstrate, uh, you know, the credibility behind it. How how convinced are we that there have been physical um, effects? And that's what's going to be great about his presentation. <laughs>
2: What's up, guys? Ryan Sprague here, and I'm just dropping in to remind you about our Patreon campaign. Somewhere in the Skies is always free to consume, but it's not free to create. So if you want to help the show on a monthly basis, we have tons of rewards for you in return, including shoutouts on the show and website, bonus content and episodes, and free merch. Want to be my guest or pick a topic for the show? You can do that, too. So if you'd like to learn more and to help support the show, visit patreon.com slash skies. thank you and keep looking up it's that time of the year your vacation
3: is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind
2: All right. Well, here's another one, a gentleman who uh, hasn't spoken at many conferences, but he's he's kind of a big deal right now in the UFO community. And that's Deep Prasad. And he's going to be talking about the complexities of understanding alien intelligences. So, yeah. Tell us a little about Deep Alejandro. And uh, and if you're looking forward to this one, too, this is really interesting.
0: Yeah. Deep is a controversial figure. He's a young guy who speaks his mind. And, you know, uh, there have been people questioning his background. And I don't know, people have said he's kind of uh, over-exaggerated or something. Uh, And perhaps in some arenas, I don't know. But we vetted him. And, you know, he was a, a superstar at school. He was, you know, they wrote an article on him in his school. Uh, it seems like people uh, are, have always been really excited about him and felt that he's a intelligent, um, you know, deep thinker. And I think that's what we appreciate about him and uh, that others do. Um, you know, he he is he's got his own kind of tech startup. He's trying to start up. Uh and, and, and that's just it I think deep is hey it, as his first name is appropriate he's a deep uh, <laughs> hard intellectual speaker so I think that he's got interesting perspectives and so yeah I'm excited to see him bring up um, how would we communicate with aliens it's kind of a topic that I've been interested in I've got an article it comes up a lot there was this uh, there was this uh, t- the signal cores, essentially, there people getting trained on, I think it was the NSA, I'm pretty sure it was the NSA, where they train each other on kind of cracking codes, right? And there's this document out there about uh, cracking alien code. And a lot of people use this and say, look, they got an alien signal and they were trying to crack the code. No, that's not what it was at all. Um, but I think what it really was is interesting, because there was this professor teaching cracking code, and, and he said you know, what if we get a signal? What if SETI gets a signal and they come to us and they ask us to crack it? How are we going to go about that? And that was the idea, which was kind of interesting. They were seriously considering these possibilities. And so he created exercises for his students around cracking these alien codes. So I think that that's really interesting, the idea of if we do get a signal. How are we going to deal with that? And there, it's a topic that has penetrated mainstream science. Um, you know, there are scientists that you could read their papers on this very topic. So it's going to be, I think, really interesting and eye-opening to people um, to kind of consider how would we do that? If we do receive a message, how are we even going to understand it? So I think it's a great topic
2: kind of uh, bleeding into that is another individual who's going to be talking about something somewhat similar and that's uh, diana pasalka and she's going to be talking about protocols for contacts so right there man you've got these two heavy hitters out there not necessarily um you know that well known in the ufo community tackling these hypotheticals so yeah tell us a little about diana and uh, what we can expect from that
0: i think this is going to be really interesting because she's another interesting um Person and, and her thoughts are more along the, the sociological lines, I guess I would say, uh, mm-hmm. into religion and, and how kind of belief systems affect culture and everything. So um, I think that that will be an interesting take uh, from her because, you know, really, if you are going to – if you were, at, let's say, part of the UAP task force and you're like, okay – we are going to have to, as a, you know, and we've, we've got this close encounter situation. They want to land and they want to talk to us and it's got, it's going to be a public thing. You know, you would want to rely on someone like a Diana Posolka in that, how is this going to affect people? Uh, are they going to freak? Are they, what are they going to do? Um, especially because, you know, considering uh, worldviews and deeply held worldviews, like religious views. Um, You know, is this going to cause some emotional kind of problems? Uh, How do we do this in a manner in which, you know, uh, it's it's effective and, and not impactive? And so, yeah, I think that she's in a good spot to be someone to offer up some suggestions on how that might happen. And of course, a lot of us, when we at least myself, other sci-fi people or people into this, you know, think how would that happen, you know? Uh, I always think about uh, First Contact, uh, Star Trek, and how the Vulcans came, and, you know, after we flew this this new spacecraft out, uh, you know, and, and what if that's the sort of thing that happens? When it happens, how is it going to happen? And will it happen? And I think probably it will at some point. So, yeah, it's a topic that I'm really into so it ought to be a great
2: one i think so yeah and uh you know a lot of people may have read diana's book american cosmic and in that book she featured a guy named chris bledsoe and his experiences so you guys also have chris bledsoe coming he's going to be talking about angels and aliens so right there man mixing ufos with religion again yeah what do you make of chris bledsoe and his entire story and yeah should we be excited about this one
0: I, I think so in that um, Chris Bledsoe uh, is a case that a lot of people believe in. I've been friends with uh, you know, John Alexander, former colonel in Army Intelligence and everything for quite a while. And John is always talking about Bledsoe and that he had his own personal signing with Chris Bledsoe. Um, it's kind of interesting because when his story first came out, it was kind of a big deal. And then he went um, quiet. He wasn't talking to anyone, and I guess because they were working on a movie deal or something, and it never came to fruition, I guess. I'm not sure, but he was like out of the public, and now all of a sudden he's back, and he's working very closely with a friend of mine, Lori, a friend of ours, Karen and mine. And so luckily, you know, we were able to get him at the conference because I think people really into this topic have been dying to get to know what this guy's like uh, for maybe the, a decade that, you know, his name has kind of been out there. So, yeah, so that's really exciting. We'll finally get to the public. We'll finally get to do some more interacting and getting to know Chris Bloodso and his case. And I think what's interesting about this is, you know, Jacques Vallée talks about this a lot. And in fact, we'll have another speaker kind of talking about this too, is kind of these archetypes. When we experience the paranormal, how do we interpret it? and, in the past, it's been interpreted through mythology, through religion, you know, angels and demons sort of thing. Um, and this case seems to be kind of a mixture of that, uh, aliens and angels. So they have a diff- an interesting, I think, and a unique perspective of what's going on with him. And uh, so it'll be interesting to To hear from him on
2: this, yeah, and you know, I always tell people the UFO topic can be seen so through so many different lenses, and and how you perceive your experience and interpret that. So I, I think that's fascinating. I can't wait to to hear because I I know very little about Chris Bledsoe's entire uh, string of events. So I'm really looking forward to finally sitting down and consuming everything he has to say. Um, and yeah. That goes for this person, too. Now, we know kind of the key players in the Rendlesham Forest incident, you know, the, uh, the, the gentleman who touched the craft and the base commander, mm-hmm. deputy base commander, Holt, and everyone in between. But a lot of people don't know about Lori Rayfelt and her incredible stories of what happened while she was working at RAF Bentwater. So, yeah, uh, tell us a little about what Lori's going to be talking about.
0: Yeah, Lori had an experience, I think something like a month or a year, uh, and it, but it was prior to the famous Rendlesham Forest stuff that we're aware of in the 1980s that inv- involved Colonel Holt, mm-hmm. the deputy base commander, and, and made that all a big deal. Uh, Lori's experience was prior to that when she was stationed at the base. And, uh, you know, I I always – because – As you know, there's been some people who have made claims about being involved with that that were not accurate.
2: I'm well aware. uh, I was writing a play about uh, this person you're speaking about. That play will never see the light of day. That's another story, though. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. A lot of people were affected by that. But I did confirm with Hulk, you know, that she was really there or at least uh, working on the base. They didn't know each other, but she had worked there. Um, The first time I saw her was with the Disclosure Project. She was one of those witnesses. Uh, So she did this video with uh, Stephen Greer years ago, talking about her experience. And then, uh, of course, all of those interviews that he did have become, you know, big on the Internet. And she kind of disappeared. And we actually were really fortunate. She sought us out. She sent an email saying, Hey, uh, I'm really ready to talk about my experiences. And we said we were flattered. We were like, well, of course, we'd be, you know, we'd be honored to have you part of the conference. And so, yeah, so she's going to come talk about her experience and how it's affected her life. And, uh, and um, she's a very thoughtful, intelligent person, retired now and uh and so it's going to yeah it's another great one
2: and you know someone who looked into the Rendlesham incidents uh, pretty thoroughly Mm -hmm. is this next gentleman. A lot of people will know this name, Nick Pope. He was the former UFO desk guy for the MOD. And uh, look, we've got all the news going on in America about ATIP and Pentagon programs, UOP task force. Uh, But a lot of people didn't know that while those stories were sort of breaking back in 2017, the UK released tons of their UFO files. So that's what Nick Pope's, going to be talking about here so yeah what can we expect from our our uh british correspondent over there
0: well you know i've relied on nick pope a lot over the last few years to help us understand uh atip and, and elizondo's role and and all this stuff going on and uh you know i i think people have underestimated his uh the importance of his uh input and insights on this because he was doing the same thing. The, as time goes on and as we understand this more, there are more and more parallels between what Elizondo was doing and what uh, Nick Pope was doing. Uh, however, it, the other helpful insight we get from Nick Pope is that he had some public interface Whereas Elizondo did not. They were more secretive. The public didn't even know what was going on. We in the field, who knew these people, a lot of the people involved didn't even know what was going on. But with Nick, the public is aware. And so Nick employed these spin and dirty tricks to get people off the the trail, you know, to trick the media into thinking there was nothing to these things. And what's interesting about those insights is that we've seen the DOD using the same type of tricks that uh, Nick Pope has described. Uh, beyond that, though, as far as his similarities with Elizondo, he was that guy working the UFO desk. Over the years, people have said, oh, Nick Pope is making his job looking into UFOs bigger than it was. And I don't think that's necessarily a fair argument. I think it, it's impossible for Nick to try to accurately describe what he did and people not, ex- you know, explain. Uh, uh, criticize the way he frames it just like what is happening to Lou Elizondo you know they try to describe what what they did and some people are saying oh you're making it a bigger deal than it was or you know um sort of thing and and it's kind of interesting because I think they're both in a tough spot because you're just trying to explain and how do you try to tell someone well it's a project but it's not like a a funded program like something huge like you would think of you know um and i think especially these guys FOIAing atip and stuff atip was very informal uh you're not going to get the sort of information you would get from a more formal kind of project or program remember this was kind of a harry reed pet project this isn't something the pentagon created that on their own it was kind of shoehorned in uh atip i mean and and the ufo desk was not like this big thing either. So the parallels are really interesting. Uh, even the, the ways they went about investigation, I think were really similar. So, uh, that's why I think right now, Nick Pope, there's no person on the planet who is more like an Elizondo than, than Nick Pope was in the UK. So I think if you're interested in in knowing about that and governments and how they work, uh, and I think, you know, there's, Practically no better person than Nick Pope to talk to about all of these things. So uh, he, he's invaluable to lend insight, especially right now.
2: Absolutely. I mean, like you said, they are almost mirror images of one another when it comes to this. Uh, so I'm really excited for that. And then, oh, man, here's the one I'm really looking forward to um, for those who listened to the show, we've covered this case in the past, the Rua Zimbabwe aerial school encounter. And, uh, you know, tons of kids were witness to this UFO landing on their schoolyard. They saw entities, it was a crazy case that uh, was investigated. And uh, all the kids were interviewed by Harvard psychiatrist, John Mack, at one point, Stunning, stunning case, and you were able to get one of the children that was there back when this happened, and that's Selma Sadiq. So, yeah, tell us a little about this and what we can expect from uh, from Selma.
0: You're probably saying it right, Sadiq. Huh? I say Sadiq, which is probably wrong.
2: Who? Hey, hey, but, uh, well, we'll ask her. <laughs> we'll ask her in the chat, right?
0: Yeah, this is an exciting one. Uh, were you there when we had Emily Trim at y- the Congress? Yes, I was there. That I year. I thought that's- so. You're th- you're there most of the time, but you you can attest to the atmosphere in the room when Emily Trim was talking about her experience was unique and it was a rare moment. It was a special moment.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Everybody's on pins and needles listening to her account. And that's what makes me excited for Salma because they're both very uh, articulate. These encounters have affected their lives and you know, and the encounter itself, the Ruwa encounter, is an extraordinary situation, you know, with all of these kids. None of the teachers saw it, but the kids saw, you know, this craft land and this this being come out of it. And, um, you know, the kids all tell the adults at first that are blowing them off. And then all the kids are like, no, this really happened. So they start to take them seriously. And the the way the kids ex- describe the experience and the feelings they got from looking at this, this what they alleged to be, you know, alien, or at least this creature, um, is pretty incredible. I mean, it's it's not the type of thing you would expect children to say. So um, you can tell from talking to these witnesses, you know, these ex- this experience was very impactful. And so that's what's going to be wonderful about talking to Salma as an adult, a professional today, um, to get her impressions of what it was like back then and how it it affected her life. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it is one of these wow moments. A lot of people love hearing from Travis Walton. And I think it's kind of a similar reason, you know, someone who apparently had an extraordinary encounter that uh, really shook them to their core. And so to have them express uh, the emotional impact and and is uh, it's moving. And so, yeah. So like you, I'm really excited for this as well. It's it's something we've been trying to arrange for a while. uh, And then I was going to try to get an interview. um, And then I decided to kind of hold off because we've been trying to get her for the the Congress. And so thankfully, uh, very excited that she'll be uh, involved this year.
2: Yeah, and I'm sure it'll be well worth the wait, because, I mean, you know me, man, I'm all about the human behind the experience, so <laughs> right. these, these things affect people in many different ways. Some of those kids were traumatized, and their lives didn't go so well after that event, but someone like like Selma has become, you know, a shining light for uh the world and the stuff she's done since that experience and she she admits that a lot of what she does today was directly influenced by what she experienced as a kid so i'm really excited about that um oh here's here's the last one i really want to talk to you about uh specifically and that's travis taylor bryant dragon arnold and tom winterton the guys over at skinwalker ranch no congress or no conference is anything without skinwalker ranch so yeah tell us a little about what we can expect with this
0: Yeah, how can you be into A-Tip and all this stuff and Bigelow without being into Skinwalker also? Skinwalker's been such a big deal to us in the UFO community. General public is just kind of starting to understand it or at least get some insight. So yeah, to hear these guys and their experience uh, working at Skinwalker and doing the History Channel show, have you heard officially about a season two?
2: Yes, yeah. It was announced on the Skinwalker podcast i think over at rogue planet at one point with the executive producer they have confirmed there is a second season and they're halfway done with filming it
0: yeah so we'll talk more about that in fact uh yeah because uh, exactly yep so this is going to be a lot of fun hearing about season two hearing about um you know their personal experiences with uh, some weirdness
2: Yeah, I'm excited for that, man. Well, hey, I'm just going to run through the the remaining names uh, so people can seek these people out. We got Linda Zimmerman, Rebecca Hardcastle, Kate Thorvaldson. I hope I'm saying that correct. Oh, you did it. Well... (laughs) MJ Benias, Kevin Newth, Gwen Farrell, Chad Lewis, Timothy Brigham, and of course, like you mentioned, Travis Walton. So huge lineup this is so awesome there's going to be panel discussions but the last thing i really want to talk to you about here alejandro is the ebe film festival this is something i was a huge part of when i volunteered for the congress for many years and uh yeah can you tell us a little about this film festival um do uh who was nominated and uh yeah how how members can take part in this
0: this will be fun. So essentially, if you register for the conference at whatever level, you're going to have access to watch the movies. So, um, Tuesday, we're trying to do it just like we do at the conference. So Tuesday, the day before the conference, anybody who wants to join in can join in and watch the movies and be a judge. If you want to be a judge, we do require that you watch all of the movies, um, because you need to judge, you know, between them. But, um, Otherwise, yeah, you can pop in and, and watch the films. We don't have a whole lot, and it's probably because of this weird format, but we do have quite, we're going to have about six movies that we'll be showing. Oh, some of great. them uh, from UFO TV, uh, and, and some of, like, for instance, we've got some shorts that are actually animated, but extremely well produced, um, and those are from UFO TV. Uh, We've got this short that uh, I think is really cool about this guy, this old man who says he had uh, an experience and and figured and was kind of communicated to him how to build a UFO uh, like uh, Howard Menger or something. So Mm -hmm. this is, it's a great little documentary. And then we also have a movie from Louis Turi uh, about his alien, uh, uh, alleged alien contacts and then we have another one called The Cahokie Lights about uh, this case there. And uh, the, the filmmaker uh, for this one has won awards in the past. Of course, so is UFO TV. So, um, so you know they're, they're produced really well. So the films are going to be a lot of fun. So we'll show them all on Tuesday. We've got two categories, and then everybody who watches them during the conference can vote and let us know, and uh, that person will win a People's Choice Award. So there's three awards that are given out, the long-form, short-form, and People's Choice. And, uh, and so it ought to be fun. I mean, I don't know that we're going to have three films in each category, more than that. So they might all get shown, which is great, you know. Yeah. Uh, the Marriott, the that's even better because it's it's great to get these movies in front of audiences. And uh, then Saturday, we're planning on, and uh, it'll be interesting how we pull this off, but Karen wants to try to mirror the award ceremony as good as possible. We'll have some of the speakers, including Brian Bender and Travis Walton, uh, so far, here at the house, outside, we're going to have a food and kind of try to do a banquet and dress up and then do like an award ceremony. Oh, so that ought to be kind of funny.
2: That'll be awesome. Hey, no award ceremony yeah. is uh, is worth it if everyone's not dressed to the nine. So that'll be cool. I'm really looking forward to the film festival. I always do. It's near and dear to my heart. But um, before we wrap things up here, Alejandro, with the Congress, tell us a little about the Rojas Report and some of the amazing guests you've had on this. This is like Alejandro rebooted 2.0. So yeah, Tell us a little about this.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, I kind of felt, um, what you wrote for open minds and so has, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Maureen and Jason, who you work with have, um, were also part of the staff and cute contributed to a lot of what we've done at open Minds. So we've, we've always took this perspective of trying to be as journalistic as possible, just like we all continue to do to this day. And it's a, it's a unique niche, I think. and, to be honest, I got a little bummed with the UFO community because all this ATIP stuff comes out, you know, UFOs are becoming legit. And it seemed like a lot of the UFO community doubled down on the crazy, if I can put it <laughs> so fine. Mm-hmm. But um, instead of kind of embracing this new world and trying to help, I think, you know, people new to this, like credible mainstream and science, ease into the topic and try to foster These relationships, a lot just went like, hey, this is ours and I'm just going to roll all this uh, into my worldview. And a lot of the UFO community have this idea that this is kind of a trickle disclosure and this is leading to, you know, Roswell aliens and everything being exposed, none of which we have. Uh, one iota, I think of, well, I shouldn't say one iota, I should say, we don't really have any strong evidence towards that. We do have some very fringe perspectives from people like Tom DeLong and Eric Davis, who are part of this group. But, you know, um, just because they believe something doesn't mean that this is something that the government is is actively working towards. And we don't have any indication of any of that stuff. So I, I I kind of got disappointed, um, but then when I stopped doing stuff, and I also was potentially going to get hired by Two The Stars, so I didn't want to, like, uh, write about To The Stars. Meanwhile, you know, I, I could possibly be getting hired by them. Right, In fact, if right. it wasn't, supposedly, if it wasn't for the pandemic, I'd be working there, but I don't know.
2: i <sighs> Hey, we would all I, uh, kill for that opportunity. But you know what? I know. You know, the future is... Bright, there's a reason we're all still here, so I'm still pulling for you, brother.
0: Yeah, so but I saw that you know this credible arena had been left open uh, somewhat, specifically on this area of the more you know credible mainstream. So I came back, and uh, I also, you know, it was hard to afford, as you know, it's hard to afford to do all of this stuff. There's you know, equipment, tech, I've got to pay you know $50 a month just to keep the website up but which is a good thing in a way because it's a very popular website so uh I came back and I decided I'm going to put my my interviews and analysis in a behind a paywall which is very cheap it costs very little and uh, and I've been fortunate enough when I did come back there were a lot of people who I interacted with who wanted to to talk with me and get some information out. And so I have been really fortunate with my relationships, you know, for with people like Brian Bender, uh, Chris Mellon, I was able to get an interview with, and I don't think the UFO community, anybody has gotten an interview with Chris Mellon in a long time. Lou Elizondo, luckily I have contact with and uh, got to do an interview with him recently. And and I, I'm in fairly regular contact. I can't always get information on the record for him. Well, actually, these days I can more, but, you know, sometimes it, depending on what's going on at the time, information's more readily available than others. Yeah, so luckily, uh, I've I've got access to a lot of these main players, uh, and, you know, we're tackling this at at the level of, you know, hopefully what you would see, you know— Washington insider type of perspective. What's really going on? What's the buzz? This stuff is so complicated when it comes to policy uh, and regulations and laws and some of the other people I interview like John Alexander or Adam Kehoe, a guy who's now blogging about this, who's, you know, focuses on policy and government policy Um Steve McDaniel from Skyhub, who who has a background in naval intelligence, Tim McMillan, who's got a background in intelligence, MJ Benias, a lot of the people you're talking to, too, you know, uh, but really focusing on all of these topics and kind of putting our heads together to figure all of this out. So, yeah, so that's what the Rojas report is about. I'm still doing my podcast. In fact, oh, in like an hour here, I'll be uh, recording it live on, on YouTube. But uh, that's much shorter. Where I just kind of review the news of the week and then tell them about the Rojas reports I've got out there. Um, so yeah, that's the new world uh, I've kind of working in. And I had a lot of friends like Richard Dolan and and even Lou and some others who are like, you got to keep doing this. You got to keep doing this. Yeah. And that felt really good. And a lot of my audience, you know, like, where are you? you got to come back. And so. <laughs> that felt really good to have that. And I did notice, and you know, I think this is something that we all need to remember all of us. And I know for a fact, you experience this. We've got a lot of people coming at it really negative. Um, mm-hmm. They want us to believe what they believe, you know, and if we don't, then we're evil and, and awful and, and, and they t- express that in the worst ways that they could. yeah. <laughs> and that, could, that can affect you. But, the reality is there are and we know this by the numbers, your show, my show, you know, you got, you look at the numbers. There are thousands of people out there who are just quietly observing, who really appreciate the type of thing we do. Right. And um, it's hard to remember that when they're quiet, um, but they're there and they're there every week, every day. You know, they're always there enjoying that, um, what we're putting out there. And that's that's really inspiring. And it's something I think we always have to remember.
2: Absolutely, and you know, you make a good point. It is the ones who don't reach out and who are listening every week that truly support you, whether it's through you know your your Patreons or things like that. And it's the most vocal ones who are usually the mean people. So I think that's a really good point. For but for every one of them, there's a hundred amazing supportive people. I am a member of your Patreon. I love everything you do. I love getting the updates every week on the UFO news. And look man, I don't I don't bring people on to promote things that often and the reason I do it with you is because I truly believe in the work that you and Karen do. I believe in everything you've done for the UFO journalism world and uh, I can't wait to see what comes next. But tell us, give us the links. Where can we register for the congress and where can we find everything you're up to personally as well?
0: And I do want to thank you. I'm a Patreon Follower of yours as well, a proud happy one. So,
2: uh,
0: but yeah, at Patreon. You can find me on Patreon, of course, by looking for Alejandro Rojas because really I put up everything I put up there. Because uh, I haven't done a Den of Geek in a while. I was doing a lot of UFO stuff for Den of Geek um, not too long ago, and those went really well. But uh, I should have some pieces again, which is something I love on space, on like NASA cool. and uh, some other types of things that way. But uh, really, if you want to find all my stuff, you open minds TV, openminds.tv is where you find my UFO stuff. And you can find the Congress there and at ufocongress.com. So, ufocongress.com is everything about the International UFO Congress. Go there now. Um, check our social media for discount codes. Uh, if I could remember one, I would tell you, but we've got them posted <laughs> on our social media. And we've been doing, you know, rolling discount codes on on social media. So definitely go check those out and join us at the UFO Congress. It's going to be a lot of fun. And like I said, get your tickets as soon as possible. And and so that's a lot of fun. And then, of course, I am writing for Den of Geek. And I've got some other exciting projects, writing projects in the uh, that I'm working on. Um so I should have some really cool bylines coming up here and I'm excited about that. Uh-huh. I guess I should explain that. Bylines mean a credit. So I should be writing for uh an outlet or two that's going to be uh I'm excited about. Yeah, so that's everything going on. It's uh, fast and furious and then at the same time I'm also doing mortgages. <laughs> so if anybody needs to refinance, get a hold of me
2: you are a man on the move you wear a (laughs) million hats I love it man I don't know when you sleep but I know you're not going to be sleeping at all this upcoming week with the Congress so again Alejandro I have to thank you for coming on everyone go register right now and uh, thank you so much for joining me again on Somewhere in the Skies
0: my pleasure thank you so much
1: Guys is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment
3: One podcast network. Here's a cool fact A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact.